0: Welcome to the 40 Athletes Podcast. I'm your co-host, Jason Holzer, along with my good friend, Jim Huber. This podcast is based on our passion to use sports to transform lives in mind, body, spirit, and environment. We believe sports can have a significant, positive impact on all areas of athletes' lives, not just when they're playing. Our guest today is Karen Moyer. Karen is the founder of Good Morning Gorgeous, Elite TLC, the mom of eight. She's a Notre Dame alum. Hey, go Irish. Uh, certified thought coach, motivational life coach, co-founder of Eluna Network, founder of Camp Aaron, which is for uh, children who have lost a loved one, Camp Mariposa, which is for also for kids that ha- live with a family member who has uh, lived has lived addiction. Karen, welcome to the show. Excited to have you. How are things going today?
1: Uh, Things are going well today. Thank you. It's Wednesday and I have four kids in school today, uh, which is not typical every day. So I'm really happy to be joining you guys here this morning.
0: Karen, I want to dive right in. Um, Many people put pressure on their kids to live up to certain expectations, especially if their parents have had success at any level of sports. Um, Did your kids ever feel that pressure, knowing like kind of like your background and Um, The kind of the lives that your kids lived as their dad being a professional athlete and you coming from being a collegiate athlete?
1: Yeah. So um, for us having eight kids, six biological, they're pretty athletic. The boys played baseball. And when they were younger, they were basically growing up in Seattle where their dad was playing. And I wasn't a big fan of them pitching because I didn't want them to be compared to their dad. Um, but, you know, you could always hear people in the stands or, you know, kids say, oh, I struck out Moyer's kid or, um, and I don't think though it ever really penetrated the boys. So that was really on the onus of other people thinking that it was getting to them because they were, you know, just confident in their own skills and what they had. And those boys went on to uh, play college ball and, and get drafted. And, uh, and then, you know, for the girls, the problem for them was that they never got to really be at work with dad because girls weren't allowed in the locker room and things like that. So, um, you know, I think for for kids that um, feel pressure because of a parent, that's the parents living vicariously through their kids. And we see that over and over and over again. And I had so much joy as a parent watching my kids do their thing and not being involved like most parents.
0: Yeah. So so what you're saying is like, you simply just like in a game, you just watched, right. Are you like, how did you go about like, you know, being at a game and seeing your kid play because they know you always want them to do well. Um, and sometimes it's like second nature to, to especially being a daughter of a coach, like you probably have some things that you see. Um, what was that like, you know, just, just being in the stands. I mean, were you able to enjoy the game more because of that?
1: Yeah, for sure. So, you know, growing up as Digger Phelps' daughter was quite an interesting journey for me. 20 years, my dad coached at the University of Notre Dame. And, you know, growing up in that and then booing Digger was a very difficult thing. I was a headline one time in the Chicago Tribune when I was 13 because they were just sit down, Digger, go home, Digger. Either in Kentucky, it was very big or in Chicago, it was very big. So, Mm that was difficult for me and they, he was just my dad. So growing up in that, I always knew how to handle raising children in this environment where fans can be rude uh, in the stands where their dad, I was married to Jamie Moyer who played uh, professional baseball for a very long time. And that's all the first world kids know. And so I protected them in that. It was dad's work and um, we treated it like that. And so when, when their athletes, it was just natural to them, they were always the ones picked on the playground to do fun, you know, to make the team better because they're good athletes. And growing up, that's been fun to have to raise athletes and have an athletic family. Um, yep. So the problem that I see with parents that you're touching on is typically when the parents are just living vicariously through their kids and putting pressure on their kids.
0: Yeah, yeah. Um for you personally, you know, like I know you told me the other day that your dad didn't even know that you played basketball until you told him you made the team. Like what was it like growing up? You know, did you and your siblings feel similar pressures because your because your dad who is who he was?
1: For sure. Um you know, I'm a 60s baby, so I was one of the first girls to play baseball. In fact, I was the only girl on on my little league team playing with my brother. Um, and then I was always athletic doing everything and I decided to try out for basketball, which we would think I was doing my whole life. Um, when I was in high school and made varsity and didn't tell my dad until I said, Hey, show up this night at the high school. And there I was in a uniform playing point guard, um, naturally a gym rat. So I, I definitely know how to shoot free throws. Um, but, uh, and and defense because I you know that was ingrained in me. My brother played college football at the University of Toledo. My sister was very athletic, and so probably hardest was for my brother to be the son of digger in between two girls. And you know how do you live up to those expectations? The players used to harass him, and I thought the players were you know like my big brothers um, all those years, and so i I think for for us, um, you know growing up in the environment of the University of Notre Dame in particular, um, you know was the best way to 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 grow up and get a foundation for life and for sports. And I'm truly appreciative of that.
2: what What would you say though, Karen? like telling parents, um we talk about the pressure of kids playing sports. they feel it, especially coming a lot of times from their parents what could you give like parents some tips of how to make sure that their kids maybe don't feel the pressure as much, um, that they more enjoy what it is that they're doing, the process they're going through? Uh, what are some suggestions you give to parents?
1: Well, look, I know that for our belief and I was you know, married to a professional athlete, I've grown up in sports, I'm an athlete. For, for parents to just let the kids find their passion, and then support that and support that at a minimal level, um, in the sense of the kid that the kids have to exude the passion for it. Otherwise, you're forcing them. And a lot of times there's burnout. And I actually started a baseball league, a select baseball league, because Jamie and I believed in the whole athlete. We don't believe in this method of. You have to pick one sport and do that sport seven days a week and give up all these other sports when actually kids that are being drafted on all sports are kids that are playing all sports. You know, they're they're the all around athlete. And and so I think I think honestly, the kid without having burnout, you support them at a minimal level and let their passion grow and show and ask you what they need. Can't stand sitting in the stands and listening to the parents. I haven't. I mean, imagine I have eight kids, and my oldest is 29, and I still go to games. Um, and nothing, and that level has changed as far as observing parents and seeing them live vicariously through their kids. Um, it's sad to watch. You see, if they're like that at the field, you can just imagine how they are driving the kid home or at home. And so it's about respecting your kid, even though, you know, you're the parent and you have these dreams for them. Let them follow their dreams. Let them make their dreams, follow their dreams and you support them.
2: What kind of conversations did you have with your children to kind of find out what their kind of passions were, their desires and kind of were their conversations or questions you asked them to kind of find out what that was for them?
1: Sure. Well, naturally for us, it was baseball. Um, Even my daughters played baseball, not softball, for a while. And and then they were just really good athletes. And so they played everything. And for a while, we thought the boys may pick soccer, quite honestly. And then they obviously followed the path of baseball. Number three, she played college basketball. Number four played college soccer. And those became just the sports that they were really good at. Five and six. Number five will play baseball. And number six is still trying to figure it out. And she's probably the best all-around athlete. Um, The last two are adopted. And it must be difficult to try and follow the Moyer way. But we'll see what happens with them. For them, it was the team sport and this is what I love about sports is what you learn on a team. And they are the people that you hire in your life if you own a company because they get it. And I think those are the greatest lessons. Um you know we're we're definitely older school the kind of get tough or go home mentality. You know, I'm Digger's daughter so I learned a lot of lessons the hard way, but You know, it's the core of who we are. So in life, nothing is overwhelming. Nothing is ever too hard because in sports, you're learning that you can you can do it. So, um, you know, I was also a high school basketball coach, inner city high school basketball coach for six years in Indiana. And I mean, that's a that's a totally different life lesson. For kids that come from broken families, parents aren't home. And so that's a lot of ways for coaches um, to get into the kids' lives as well. So you've got the parents. um, So choose your poison. You got the parents who are just helicopter parents, or you have these kiddos that really need you in your coaching role, um, you know, the game of life.
2: Well, since you talk about parents, let's transition into that. So I was talking to somebody recently, they were mentioning that um, their child was trying to figure out whether to play the cross or football. and the the dad played college football, right? It was a really good collegiate football player. And so the dad wanted him to play football. And so he's trying to figure out what to do, and the son decided he wanted to play the cross. They knew nothing about the cross. The dad was kind of frustrated. So the mom mm-hmm. had to kind of navigate the dad through all this. So I think sometimes parents, you know they could be on separate pages, right, or how they view sports how they think kids should play certain sports or whatever that would be. How do you feel like with you and Jamie and recommendation give to to parents, how they come together to be on the same page of how they're going to navigate their child through sports? What would be your recommendation for parents in general and coming together?
1: Well, hearing that story that you just shared uh, makes me think of the Meyer family. Rick Meyer played quarterback at Notre Dame, went on to 15 years in the NFL. Three very athletic boys. Uh, their oldest son plays lacrosse at the University of Notre Dame, where Rick went. The number two son plays lacrosse at the University of Michigan, and number three son, who is bigger than all of them, just was offered as a junior in high school a scholarship to University of Michigan to play quarterback. Um, so hopefully Notre Dame will step up with that same kind of scholarship. But the youngest is also a very good baseball player, and I was with him recently, and he, you know, I was like Charlie, what are you thinking? You know, are you going to play baseball or football? And he, he really didn't know before he got the scholarship offer. So, what's the beauty of that is you have a professional athlete who's got three very good sons, and I would follow that model. I'm sure they didn't know much about lacrosse. We grew up in the Midwest, they, they raised their sons in California, where lacrosse is taking over baseball in some areas of our country. And so, again, it goes back to your kids' own passion, it's their life we're there to support them. And, you know, we can have a conversation about the extra resources that you need, the club sports and all that kind of stuff, getting out in the backyard, getting in the neighborhood and playing, you know, those kinds of things are really lost. So whatever sport you're choosing, know that it's a commitment. Um, I wouldn't choose it until well into high school. Um, you want to, rel- I promise you, they're looking for well-rounded athletes. And... and, and <laughs> You know, quite honestly, a lot of those lacrosse kids get hired by companies um, because the companies know what the kids gone through in playing lacrosse and the team um, concept and, you know, what kind of kid has that grit um, is what they want in their offices.
2: Well, and think about this. You as a as parent and Jamie together, you both played at high levels, right? And in- basketball, baseball, and I know your sons have played sports and daughter and you would sit there and probably think, I know more than this coach. This coach really uh, doesn't maybe know maybe what they're doing per se, because everybody thinks they can be a coach. But even when you played at a certain level, you have an understanding. What would be your recommendation for even parents of how the relationship is with the coach, even if things aren't going exactly the way they want for their child playing that particular sport for that coach?
1: Right. So um, I didn't actually have to correct you guys. I I could have played college basketball, but I didn't. I ended up at Notre Dame, a D1 school um, instead to pursue my television career. And, you know, while Jamie and I are not uh, married still, speaking on behalf of how we raised our kids and how we continue to raise our kids, I'm comfortable with that because we do have conversation about it. Um, I can't speak on his behalf of how it feels sitting in the stands. I've had that time with him very little because, um, you know, he was working when the kids were playing sports, uh, the first four, but we would always communicate. And obviously I started a baseball organization because I was frustrated. I was frustrated with how it was organized, how it was run. I want these kids playing a bunch of sports. And I was very strict with our rules with the parents. You know, you can set the tone in your organization um, you can have zero tolerance for attitude. Um, you can you know you can corral the parents and that's where the control can happen. There can be positive environments for kids if you put your foot down right away. If I've had to sit in that environment, I don't sit in the environment. I sit away from the parents. I don't want to look like I'm associated with it. I'm older and wiser and can do that. And I re- recommend that. If it doesn't feel comfortable then to you, then something's wrong. If it doesn't feel comfortable to you, imagine how it feels to the kids. And so if it's that way in the stands, it can't be that way in the dugout or you know on the bench um, because it's only affecting the kids. And so I challenge the parents to make change. If you see it, feeling it, you have to say something. It's not the way sports are meant to be. Yeah.
0: You know, going on that, it's, that could be tough because you know, maybe your best friend is that parent that is, you know, making, so how do you, you know, have you ever had conversations or review, approach the parents and said, Hey, that's not cool. And maybe when would be a good time to, you know, approach those parents when would be a good time. I mean, obviously not during the game, probably not even right afterwards, but, Have you had those situations where you've had like, listen, this is not okay?
1: (laughs) Look, I've been in the stands where I've told fans when they're yelling at my dad saying, you know, absolutely insane, mean things to him. You know, that's my father you're talking about. Just to give it a little reality check. I've been in the stands where Dodger fans have um, you know, and yay Dodgers, but when the Phillies were playing the Dodgers, um, there were fans threatening my son's life, you know, so people can take it extreme and I'm not afraid to stick up for that. I would tell fans, you know, that while you're booing him right now, or, you know, yelling profanities, these are his kids and we're going home with him tonight, just as a reality check. Cause I think what happens is people just get out of their reality. And these parents that are yelling in the stands they're not my friends to be honest with you because most of my friends are athletes and get it they get the life. The people that are yelling are the ones again I guarantee they're living vicariously through their kids and they need a reality check. They need to know it's not okay. I don't know that I feel it's my responsibility to call somebody out in the stands. I would have a conversation with the kid about it. And so that they know that that's not proper behavior, but we can't, you know, it can start at the top. The organization can hear it in the stands and then it's on them. It's not my responsibility as a parent, but it's my responsibility as a parent to my kid so that he knows what's right and wrong and how to act.
2: Well, you know this, Karen, I mean, sports can make people do crazy things. Like you'll look down and you'll be like, that's that doctor down. What do you mean? He's acting like that or whoever it is. Like that's my neighbor that, what what's gotten into him and uh but i go back to like what you mentioned as a parent sometimes you might see something that isn't maybe the way you want it to be or isn't done the right way with maybe an organization or a coach or maybe it comes back to maybe uh your child doesn't uh maybe they're struggling with something way a coach approaching them or their playing time or whatever that would be what would be your recommendation in regards Mm -hmm. to as a parent is navigating their child through difficulties and would you have them communicate to the coach first. And then if it doesn't be handled uh, in a certain way, then you step in. What what's the procedures you would give recommendations to how to go communicate with a coach when things are not going the way that you really desire them to be?
1: I have a couple of thoughts on that. First of all, again, it goes back to it's your kid, it's their passion. It's their responsibility and it's their respect for themselves and for the organization, the sport, their teammates, the coach. If they have an issue, it's their responsibility, certainly at a certain age. And if you ask me what age, I would say probably at least 12 and up because it empowers them. And if they feel passionate about playing time Or how something's going on for them, not critical of another teammate or the X's and O's of it, but to go to the coach and say, you know, what their issue is. Uh, A good coach is going to respect that. A good coach will have already told them the rules on that. Come to my office at these hours. Don't talk to me right after practice. Talk to me at this time. Um, You can text me. We can talk on the phone, whatever um you know we didn't have cell phones when we were playing sports so we couldn't we could only see the coach at practice and so it's different now everybody's a little more accessible there's really no excuse for it to not to communicate everything in life comes down to communication um it's the kids that um think highly more highly of themselves um And, you know, they get in trouble with thinking that they deserve more. Um, And, you know, I think lessons are learned. Um, You earn your spot. You earn your playing time. Um, You earn if you've not done well, you earn your seat on the bench. And you have to figure out how to get out of it. Again, these are life's life lessons. And so as hard as it is to sit back and watch as a parent, use sports as that learning tool in life for life skills. It's the game of life.
2: So when you talk about the life skills, the game of life, and using sports mm-hmm. to learn that, as a parent, what did you do, like, after games or competitions? Um, what were conversations you had with your children, like questions you might ask to get into maybe learning some life skills through the sports that they're playing?
1: Well, first of all, I grew up in a house where my dad never brought it home. Um, was with Jamie for... His entire professional season, twenty five years, never brought it home. Um, I was laughing. I'm laughing because the other day I was watching the World Series with my oldest son, and a couple of the batters were striking out looking, and you know can end the game that way. And my big boys know that that was one of my pet thieves who's go down swinging. So that would be the only thing I would say in the car. Um, I would always reward them if they were playing soccer to use both feet, um, if they score a goal with the opposite foot. Um, same thing in basketball, using both hands. Um, what I love about sports too, and I don't think you realize that until you're later in life, is it's, it's for life. And so when you're an athlete, an athlete and you're athletic, you know, as a, in a family, you can be athletic family, and have lots of good fun together for a very, very long time. So, you know, I think for the kids, um, we never put pressure on them. We supported them and what their needs were. Um, you know, our kids were blessed. We had the resources, we had the contacts. Um, it was innate. They're, they have the genetic makeup. Um, but I, what was always important to us and still is is that you're a good person on and off the field.
2: Would you would you also talk to them besides the skill sets and what they did, kind of to honor them on that, to be like, hey, I love it, man. That official made that call, maybe what a great call, but you didn't respond to it. You you didn't react to it. You came back and played the next play, or you know, you made that turnover and or struck out, you came up the next at bat and you sat there and you were confident and aggressive. I loved how you came back or picked up your teammate or whatever that might be? Did you talk to them about things like that as well?
1: Oh, always yeah. positives and always compliments. Um, that is everything in life for building self-esteem and self-confidence. Look, if they are 0 for 4 that day, they feel bad. Why are you gonna make them feel worse? You can ask questions like, what would you do differently? Uh, what What were you thinking then? Could you you know, be thinking something different? I, you know, we definitely would ask, you know, what does the coach think? Um, What did the coach say Um, that our kids and I encourage parents to do this, too? You're always cheering on your teammates. You're always happy for your teammates. It's a team. You know, it's difficult. One of our kids is a golfer. And that was a whole different world for us because we're, you know, team sports oriented. So that's a different mental the, you know, the car ride can be quiet and that's okay. Um, but never not talking about it. Um, because then the kids are just left there wondering, you know, every kid wants to please their parents. It's a terrible pressure that I don't know where it comes from in the atmosphere. Um, but there's a healthy way to raise your kids while they're they're doing what they love.
0: Okay. Karen, you know, you mentioned to me like this uh, documentary on Netflix called uh, The Playbook and I watched Doc, the Doc Rivers one and he talked about the phrase umbuntu, which means I am as we are. and That kind of sounds like what you created with your kids. I mean, would you want to dive in and talk about like that kind of philosophy and how you can like Doc Rivers did it with the, with the Celtics. How did you do that with, you know, that kind of philosophy with your family and your kids?
1: How cool is that when the Celtics are going on three, one, two, three, Ubuntu. Um, I love that word. I've known that word. I have a friend who has a camp named with that word um, that supports uh, inner city kids up in the LA area. It's inspiring. It's motivating for us. You know, our, our journey was, we were in professional sports and so how was i going to balance that um i lost my career in television so i could support their dad and we were always together and i found philanthropy um, and building a foundation that's now 20 years old what do you do at home so for me it was teaching them how to be a good human being and how to give back and so i implemented mission trips with them The age of 16, I would take them one at a time. Sometimes a couple of them would go. And we went to places like Guatemala, Africa, India, Honduras, and, you know, worked with the poor. That's the balance that you have to give your kids, no matter their privilege, um, is that, you know, giving back. So our kids have a very nice balance, and they know that. I'll tell you the one thing that um, my kids would know to this day and I would signal to them when we were leaving a practice or a game and I would go like this, if you can see me, I go like this. And to them, that meant you go over to your coach with eye contact and you say, thank you, no matter what. Um, And that's heartfelt. That's authentic. You are these coaches, you know, are a lot of them are volunteers. Um. Even if you had a bad day, you, you're going over and you're saying thank you. And that shows respect. Their dad exuded respect from the umpire, from the hitters. You know, he didn't have success until later in life and had, you know, for a long time. They had a very good example on and off the field. And that has to come from home and it starts at the top. And so you make these. You know, decisions you learn from others um, and, you know, you kind of go with the flow. you got to learn to be adaptable because injury changes everything. Uh, the mental anguish of sports um, and the burnout, it all is very real. Um, but at the end of the day, when it's with the foundation of a loving family, anything is possible.
0: Yeah. And you mentioned that like you you know got into philanthropy because you you know you dropped your um, your career in broadcasting that you really dreamed to aspire to but you've gone on to be a founder or co-founder in a lot of different things i mean i i saw the list and the awards that you've won and i was like holy cow how did how did building relationships through sports help you with things like good morning gorgeous camp Aaron, Camp camp mario so like what did those building those relationships do to help you really, you know, get those to become a reality?
1: Well, the one thing that I think people would always say about me is that I have a lot of passion and um, I have extreme empathy and compassion for those in distress, those less privileged. And um, I'm also walk the talk of being the change. And so I, I taught the kids to have a passion and find it and use it. And you know whatever it is, we'll support it and make it um, make it happen. I've also told the kids to dream big, and um, and so I have these you know core foundation values. Um, completely, in, an imperfect person, an imperfect mother. I was an imperfect spouse. I am an imperfect friend. When I think the facade was perfection. And to really own that and recognize that in my 50s has been profound. It has been transformative. It's been very hard work. I have had a lot of good ideas. I opened my spin studio called Go Legs the same time Soul Cycle opened everybody knows soul cycle fabulous studio nationwide multi-million dollar business exact same guys we have the same socks everything um, I didn't copy their idea it was the same idea I didn't put the smarter people around me I was a one-off I moved it from Seattle to Florida but I know in what I did for seven years I transformed lives so what's important to me is, Whatever you're doing, big or small, is, you know, what's your mission? What's your goal? I've always remained true to myself and to my mission. So if my passion is helping children, creating camps like I have, a grief camp and a camp for kids that live with family addiction, national camps, I I make it happen. Um, I'm resourceful. I've learned from my father to never assume, always follow up, and always have a backup, and the, you know those mantras really help you. So I'm very good in Plan B. I'm adaptable, um, and I think I'm finally finding my niche. And I'll be 55 years old in a couple of weeks, and that is because I've had a long journey. I've worked very hard on myself through some very difficult times in life. I own all of it, and. I have personal goals. And so I started a company recently and I love what I do. So we'll see where that goes.
2: So uh, Karen, I want to kind of add on that is, you know, right now we're going through some challenging times and you mentioned just then, you know, uh, you had to go through difficult times through your life. What are some suggestions you can give the people of what you did to help you get through those difficult times that people could use today as well?
1: Oh, you know, that's a tough one because what I know, you know, I'm a borderline expert in grief, addiction, and suicide, and now I'm a relationship consultant, um, a certified thought coach, and if I knew then what I know now and how I am mindful in every action that I do, inner peace is overwhelming um and so my greatest wisdom to share would be to learn mindfulness activities um and you know that's from breathing exercises to you know the hot yoga um and i don't do hot yoga so uh for mindfulness things that is you centering yourself through any trauma through anything that you are going to face in life. And look, some people face bigger, deeper, darker things. So the challenges that exist um, have existed in my life and growing up in a semi-celebrity family, um, marrying into baseball, and and now uh, sitting here um, sharing children, in a life that wasn't my vision, but here we are. And what do you do with that journey? Here we are in COVID. My heart is heavy every day for the people that are touched by it, that are losing lives over it. Um, I pray for leadership, I pray for the scientists, but I also know that we can control what we, we can at home. And that's all you can do. And what does that mean? That means that you're controlling um, what is in front of you. And that is being very present. So people would always ask me, how, how, how do you do it? And I, I've i always looked at it the night before um, or in the moment of because things change constantly and we have to be adaptable. So being present Um, using the wisdom of others, surrounding yourself with people that are like-minded just allows you to be the best version of yourself. And while you're trying to achieve that your entire life, there's going to be times when you're a better version of yourself. And I mentioned earlier, you know, life's journey and what you go through and the things that are difficult, it's going to happen and you have to own it. There has to be forgiveness. And more than anything, love, the loving of yourself, can exude through loving others and what will come back to you and what you can manifest. So I said a lot right there. I'm I'm sure people are like, what? Um, and um, this is what I'm doing now. I work with clients who uh, are widowed, who are divorced, who are in long-term breakups, people who have had domestic violence in their lives, um, people who have been sick, and they want to date again. And I believe in reimagining love. And so. Through my Thought Coach certification, we go through um, life together and I love it. Um, I'm also helping people find their dreams. I've been doing that forever and I use my connections and my resources and I sit and what do I do exactly what I do with my kids? I break it down. What are your passions? And let's find it and let's make it happen.
0: Yeah, that's really good. Um, You know, I remember one time, uh, we were on a thought coaching certification call and you had three kids that had COVID. You were trying to keep those kids away from your other kids by trying to keep yourself safe. So you know I know some people can like see your life like, oh well, what's Karen have? Like she's got everything you could ever want. Her life is perfect, you know from an outside standpoint, but the reality of it is all of us are going through something. Like could you tell us like how did you get through that time where you had half your kid, almost half your kids having COVID, The other ones you're trying to keep healthy, Meanwhile, you're trying to keep your home in you know somewhat of a you know peaceful space.
1: Look, I've done a lot of hard things in my life, and that was definitely in the top five hardest things I've ever had to deal with. And that was that three of my kids were tested positive, three tested negative, and that included and and then I was negative. So I had to take care of them. I work in mental health. I was mostly concerned about their mental health. I've been worried about COVID and the long-term effects. And then you have kids that have it. What does this look like hourly? Because everything you read, nothing is consistent. Um, I was struggling because there's not really a COVID survivors group out there. And there should be because we need to be supporting each other and learning from each other. I was flabbergasted at how people that I'm close to, acted like it was the biggest cooties on the planet and barely reached out to see how we were doing. Um, it, was, um, it was very, very difficult. Again, I would do mental checks and I would tell the kids how proud I was of them, all of them for handling it. Um, we did the very best we could. I found resources, I fed protein in them. Uh, we took every supplement under the planet and we're lucky, you know, we were pretty asymptomatic. Um, I, I Nothing in life prepares you for, you know, things that uh, happen to you. And so you, again, you're very present and you take it moment by moment. Try not to feel overwhelmed. Try not to, um, you, this too shall pass, so to speak, um, in the sense of, you know, things may be very different, but you'll know um, on the other side because you've handled it with grace and grit um, that, um, you know, every little thing may be all right.
0: Nice. Yeah. Um, and so, hey, as we're finishing up today, we have four cues with 40 athletes. So these are just quick answers to short questions. So uh, first one is this. What is uh one best lesson that sports has taught you?
1: the best lesson that sports has taught me is that it doesn't come down to wins and losses. Um, And remember I'm a coach's daughter, winning mattered. I was married to a a pitcher winning absolutely mattered. Um, But it doesn't have to come down to wins and losses in the sense of what you're, what you're learning overall. And, you know, back to being a a team player um, makes you a team person on and off the court.
0: That's really good. Yeah. Um, A lot of us, you know, get caught up in winning. So it's important to hear that. It doesn't, you know, it's not about wins and losses at the end of the day. Um, Second one, if you could spend time with anyone you admire in sports alive or passed away, who would it be? And why would you choose them?
1: You know, who came to my mind um, right away. And I, I, and I know her um, because I've done some philanthropy with her in Philadelphia, but she's standing out, tremendously to me right now, and I think it's Billie Jean King, um, and, and I think, you know, she pioneered in so much, and she has stood for so much, and she celebrates, um, in fact, she's probably really happy to work, because I think she's a Dodgers fan, um, I play tennis. Um, I just think that, uh, you know, she persevered through many difficult things and still is shining
2: what, hey Billie Jean going back to that who was the guy that she beat you remember they had that match she played played a professional uh, men's player and beat him
1: you remember yeah, that I think it was um
2: God and he was I like
1: just as uh, not an American
2: yeah I know but I remember that he's talking negative about her that she couldn't beat him and she actually beat him so that's really cool number three question is this now what is the best advice you receive from a coach? That you have worked with or played for, or maybe it's lived with since you live with a Hall of Fame coach. So <laughs>
1: um yeah, so that would absolutely that answer has to come from my father Digger, who by the way calls me every day um since COVID. So we're nine months into it. Um I miss what, him.
2: What's your, what's your nickname, by the way? What does he call you? He
1: called me Parakey. He called
2: you, call you, you call Parakey? <laughs>
1: No, Kierke, like Karen, he calls me Kierke. Oh, okay,
2: Kierke, okay.
1: Um, and he is Pukka to my children. Um, but, you know, I mentioned it earlier. Dad always said, um, don't assume, follow up, and always have a backup. Hmm. Those, are, those are rules that everybody can live by. You never want to assume anything. Um, you always want to follow up because, you know, the circumstances could have changed. And you always want to back up because everything can fall through.
2: No, I love that. you said it earlier and I actually was going to write it down because uh, that just triggered me today and kind of my thought process going through the day. So thank you for that. And right. the fourth question is, what's the one character trait or life skill that you kind of think in your mind uh, kind of builds the best relationships like for individuals have a relationship? What's that character? What character you think that is?
1: A good communicator and a good listener.
2: Now tell, tell me, how does someone become a great listener? Because I know my wife would love for you to help me on that.
1: <laughs> and, and honestly, you know, the, the greatest gift you guys can give your kids is to show um, them love of their mother, no matter what. It is a lifetime of respect that they will have for her, no matter what happens. So communication is something that um, you can learn that is innate, and it's it's crucial in everything you do because a lot of times, as Jason knows, we we have a lot of thoughts, and so if you're holding those thoughts and storing those thoughts, or those thoughts are based on fear, and you're not communicating that, that can ruin your life. That can. Set up something that um, you can't experience that actually could be a very good, cool experience for you, but you've stored that. So communicate things. Uh, You owe yourself that. And then good listener. Honestly, that comes with age and wisdom. And if you think about it, the people that you love to be around the most are probably the best listeners in your life because they're hearing you out. What I know in people that grieve a loss, the best friends are the ones that just listen. It's very difficult in grief to to not say something that might offend somebody. And so um, how do we learn to be unoffendable? Um, We let offenses go. And that takes a lot of work. But those that are good communicators and good listeners... You're gonna find inner peace that um, is gonna make life even brighter and better.
0: Thank you, Karen, for that. That's uh, again um, really resonated with uh, with what you just said.
2: Hey, Karen. Going back, Jason, what Karen was saying though, I know my wife now. When I initially, when I was married, and that men are like this, I know is like you're you're telling. My wife would tell me something was going on, a struggle, right? And what I want to do, I want to give her the answer. Hey, here's what you need to do. Here's what you need to do. And she goes, would you just listen? Just listen. Don't tell me. And so I finally just started listening and I give her a hug afterwards and she goes, that's it right there. I don't need anything from you. I just need you to listen. So
1: so that's acknowledgement. And again, you know, I have, I've been hugging kids who've lost loved ones for, for decades and i'll look them in the eyes and i will hug them and i will say you know i'm really sorry for your loss Um, i'm sorry for your pain you're acknowledging to somebody the good and the bad always compliment Um, you can't ever go wrong with a compliment can you that's why i named my company good morning gorgeous it just feels so good um and yeah i think in, in relationships in particular if you're not listening guys it's because you're multitasking and you know, statistics show yeah. you're not good at multitasking. So I would drop I'm them well multitasking done. and just be present. And you know what, to-do lists, they're there all the time. We'll get to it eventually. Um, but those moments of being very present and what's awesome about both of you, and I'm gonna compliment you, is that you care enough to want to be the best version of yourself as a spouse, as a parent, and you strive for that. And that's inspiring and motivating. And I know the two of you are building something that is going to be so incredible for people on and off the court, on and off the field. And I, I commend you. I'm proud of you. I want to be a part of it in any way. And I'm truly honored to have been on with you today.
0: Thank you. Thank you, Karen. Um, how can people get, get a hold of you? You know, what's the best way to reach you? To learn more about what you're doing. Um, can you give yeah. us some insight?
1: Yes, please. I am I am very accessible um, as I'm trying to rebuild some of my social media. Um, so I am on Instagram at Karen P. Moyer. I am on LinkedIn, Karen Phelps Moyer. My website is goodmorninggorgeous.com. On there, you can read all about me and how I've basically just branded myself and my skills. And I'm sharing that with others. Um, On there, you find my elite TLC, which is my relationship consulting. We can custom packages. And um, I authentically love myself more than I ever have in my life. And I love my work. And I hope that that is shining so brightly and that I'm manifesting something bigger than I ever imagined, because everything I do is helping others and serving others. And. I feel completely honored to be doing that,
2: especially Karen, with what you're doing, think about how many individuals now are in homes together more. Right. (laughs) I mean, it's like you, you could go to work, you could go out, you could separate for eight to 10, 12 hours, come back. But now you're in a home together and it's kind of like you, what you do with relationships is forcing you to develop a relationship. Some of them maybe have lost that relationship and trying to regain it. So I would definitely recommend people to um, check your programs out and get involved, because I think when you can have healthy relationships, you know, it is it makes everything better in your life.
1: Absolutely.
0: Karen. Uh, from the bottom of my heart, thank you so much for being on here today. It's It's been great having you on there. So many knowledge nuggets on here as well that you dropped on us. Um, I look forward to talking to you again soon.
1: Thanks, guys. Wishing you a wonderful rest of your week and all of your endeavors. And um, remember, love and light and everything.
2: Thank you. Karen. Thanks, Karen. Thank you very much.
0: Now. If you're looking to transform your athletes' team or organizations by teaching essential life skills through sports, like us on Facebook at 40 Athletes, subscribe to our 40 Athletes YouTube channel, and also be sure to check our website, 40athletes.com. There you can enroll in our 24-week online course or schedule a discovery call and let us know how 40 Athletes can help you develop better players by helping them become better people. Thanks again for tuning in, and we'll see you next time on the 40 Athletes Podcast.